Welcome back to another edition of We're Not As Dumb As We Think We Are. This is our podcast. My name is Aaron. I'm Bill. And we are excited for another week, another episode. Um, Bill today is going to ask the question. Usually I ask him a silly question to start, but today he is going to ask it. Uh, He's been spending all about four minutes preparing, maybe even less. So, Bill, I'm eagerly anticipating this stupid question. Well, I do have a question, and, and I don't know if it is stupid, but anybody that knows Aaron Pierre knows that he loves candy. At least he used to. Probably pretty healthy now, but he used to love candy, uh, at least certain kinds of candy. So my question is for Aaron, what is, it's a two-part question, what is the absolute number one must-have or it is a total loss Christmas candy? And what is the absolute worst Christmas candy you could ever have? Christmas candy. Well, the worst is peppermint candy canes. Like, those are stupid. Like, <laughs> the most symbol of Christmas is stupid. Going dumb. That, why would you want spicy candy? Candy's not supposed to be spicy. I, so I have like a list of like can, top five worst candies and spicy, cinnamon, peppermint, like that's on the list. Like my wife likes Red Hots or I'm like gross. It's disgusting. <laughs> the number one Christmas candy. I'm trying to think if there's any candy that comes out just at Christmas time that I eat. Cause I my like my go-to candy, like are fruity and chewy candies. And there's no real like, fruity, chewy, chewy, staple Christmas candy. Like sweet tarts comes out every year with like, or every holiday with a, like right now they're sweet tart hearts. And at Christmas time they're shaped in trees and Easter they're shaped as eggs and bunnies, you know, um, can Christmas candy must have. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't know. Like, uh, wow. You got stumped by that question on candy. I just, Trying to think what candy I eat at Christmas time. Um, okay, well, there are a lot of Skittles this, things. And this there. doesn't count. This is not kind of Christmas candy, but so at Walmart they sell like candy shaped in a candy cane, and they put chewy yes. lemon heads in it. Like that's pretty good. I like I like chewy lemon heads, and not just the, okay. they're like the variety um, flavor, not just the lemon flavored. So they're not really chewy lemon heads, they're a chewy variety. No, I mean, they're lemon heads, they're still lemon heads, but it's not just like the traditional <laughs> lemon head. So, well, apparently that was kind of a hard question for you tonight. It was, it stumped me. Well, now people hope, well, yeah, now people know that uh, candy canes are stupid. If you didn't know that right now, you do. I'm happy to enlighten all of you on my... I, I feel like that in about uh, 10 months, you'll be getting no candy canes and several, several uh, things of, of varied lemon heads. Now, there are candy canes that aren't peppermint flavored. They're like sweet tart flavored or some other sweet fruity kind. Those are fine. I'll eat those. <laughs> That's interesting that you don't like peppermint. Yeah. I find that interesting. It's just garbage. All right. So let's get to the meat of this podcast. I know that's probably the real reason people listen is us having that dialogue about the stupid question. But today's topic is brought by Bill. The last few weeks I have been uh, leading or driving our conversation, but today or this time Bill's going to um, lead our discussion 
And I think it's a good one. I think it's a topic that a lot of people might not think about on a regular basis, but it's something we deal with every day if you're a Christian trying to navigate this topic. So take it away, Mr. Bill. Well, I appreciate that, Aaron. And I am excited about this topic. It's one that we talk about here at school sometimes. And again, I have a class that I teach in a discussion style. So we've kind of touched on this a little bit in the small group leadership class. But um, the topic for tonight is how does a Christian aim for holiness without becoming legalistic? And I set that up. I mean, we all know that we are to be holy. Um, The Bible says to be holy because Christ is holy. And we know that the word holy means to be set apart. So we understand that. Um, But the hard part in the practical realm is pursuing holiness without becoming legalistic, trying to um, look at works and look at others and see how they don't measure up. So I have four questions. I thought I would lead off with Aaron and get his answers and we'll try to discuss them and see where they go. But to start with, it's just a very basic question of what is holiness? What does it look like? And in your opinion, Aaron, is it an end result or is it a process? Do we ever reach holiness or is it something we're always pursuing? What is it and how do we get there? So what is holiness? You said it in your introduction, but it means to be it like the literal mean is to be set apart. Um, which I always, when I teach students about holiness, the idea of being set apart means being different. Like you're drastically different. Like people should be able to tell a difference in you and your actions, your behavior, your demeanor, um, how you live your life. Like it should be blatantly obvious if you call yourself a follower of Jesus that you are different than the non-Christian world population. So. That's to me what holiness is, is like, you're different. You're extremely different in a a good way. The world doesn't see it necessarily always as a good way. And then is it an end goal? Is it an end result? Is it a process? Well, I'm a nerd out. Um, I guess is, no, it's not an end process because we're always, it's the point of sanctification. We're always trying to become sanctified, which is the process of becoming holy I don't think if we ever reach a point of being satisfied or fully being holy, like, I don't think, I don't know. I feel like it wouldn't be good. Like, Oh, I've reached the pinnacle of holiness. I am now no longer trying to improve myself. I mean, I guess that would be a good thing, but I don't think we could ever attain that. So I think it's always a daily in and out process. It's a decision. Like you have to decide to do that. It doesn't just happen. I mean, eventually over time and developing habits and being in a Christian culture mindset, like you can make it easier, but no, I don't mm-hmm. think it's a, it's a end result. It's a continued daily choice to be set apart and be different. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. And I, I understand what you said. I agree about it being a process. I don't think we ever reach holiness, this side of heaven. Um, I think it's something that we're always aiming for, but you, you said something also that made me think of another question. You said that, and when explaining it to kids, we should be different. Mm-hmm. And, and I think I, I agree with that. I mean, being holy means that we shouldn't look like people who are not followers of Jesus. But my, my question would be, what does that even look like? What do you mean? Do we, how are we different? 
I think, I mean, it's easy for me to, to explain it in like a, a context of a teenager. Cause that's what I, that's what I do. I work with teenagers and teach teenagers like, and for some reason it's easier. I, I I'm almost 36. I'm still only 35 though. I still got a few more weeks of being 35. I still feel like I'm only a few years removed from being a teenager, like working with kids all the time. But, um, like first I'd say if I can't tell a difference between you and the, the world, the non-Christian world, like that's a problem like that. Like, I don't want to be like too harsh in the sense of saying like, you haven't really given your life to Jesus, but I, if you've given your life to Jesus, it should be visibly obvious that you are different than what the world is. And your, your question is, how do we do that? Or what does it look like? Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you said we're supposed to be different, yeah. but what do you mean? So some major things I think, I mean, it goes for teens and adults. It's like your person, one, it's your behavior. Like, how do you act? One, how do you treat people? Like a teenager, it's real easy to talk trash about whether it's your teachers. I hear it all the time. Like my teacher's dumb, worse things than that. But so like my teacher's dumb, basically talking bad about other students, you know, that person's weird or loser, whatever. I feel like it's not as bad as it used to be when I was a teenager. And then, um, what you consume. Um, I mean, everyone's got a smartphone nowadays. Most, not everyone, but 99% of people and you have information at your fingertips. What do you consume on that? Do you consume whether it, Typically, boys, you consume pornography on it all the time. Um, for girls, do you um, consume just comparing yourself to other people? What are you listening to? What are you watching? Things like that. Um, and then, I guess for an adult, like, what are you pursuing? Are you pursuing a career, money, um, possessions? Like, is that your life thing? And even like, are you, this isn't, this, this one necessarily isn't bad in, in a sense, but I see a lot too of like, I find my identity in being a parent. Like, like my life is defined about being a mom, which is, that's great. You want to be a great mom, but like, I don't think I want to be a good dad, but I like my identity is not found in being a father. It's in being a, a child of God. And part of that is being a good parent. Um, and then there's a whole bunch of other things, but I, I feel like you, you should be defined by pursuing your relationship with God. And then that is an overflow of you sharing God with others. Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate what you said. And I, again, I, I agree with, with much of that too. I, I like the idea of, especially of what you consume and for adults, what do you pursue? Um, I, I tried to do some reading ahead today um, about the tension between holiness and legalism. And um, it, it seems to me that the focus of a person pursuing holiness is on how he or she is becoming more like Jesus. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it is not a comparison. It's not a, a measurement that I'm doing better than so-and-so. It's the idea that I am surrendering, and that's what we talked about the first week, but I'm surrendering more of my life, more of my control, more of my wants to the Lordship of Jesus in order to live to 
to please him. And, and, and so to me, holiness, uh, a lot of it is, is, is the stuff that we don't do. But I also think it's the pursuit of Jesus in, in the positive vein. We seek to be like Jesus and do the things that Jesus did, at least to me. So that would be encouraging someone. It'd be at your school, seeing the kids that are invisible, that nobody sees, everybody makes fun of, seeing them and not just not making fun of them, but but engaging them and making them feel wanted. Um, I think the positive side, if I could add to that, would be to not only to not do things that erode it, but to do the things that build it up. Mm-hmm. So, but I think, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, you said, well, I was thinking, <laughs> you go ahead. You brought up like, I, I want to, I think, love Jesus or pursue Jesus or desire to please Jesus. Like, yep. How does that, because I think that's what it comes down to. Like, how does that, become something in somebody's being like, because I think if you desire to want to please Jesus, you're going to strive for holiness. But where does one, yeah, people choose to follow Jesus, but not always is it right away. They're like, Oh, I want to pursue Jesus because he loves me, but it's like, all right, now I want to please him. Like where, where does that, how do you make that happen? I feel like that's a struggle for Christians. Well, I agree with you. I think it is a struggle. It's a struggle for me. I mean, I'm just going to be upfront. It's a struggle for me to always live in such a way that pleases the Lord. And for me, what gets in the way are my own selfish ones. Um, I have things that I want to do. I have things that I, I can rationalize doing. And they get in the way of, of pursuing the things that Jesus wants. And I'm probably not alone in that. But but. To answer your question directly, how did one get there? I I think it's the process of kind of what Paul said, that I die daily. I choose every day to subjugate myself to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And every day is a chosen time that I choose to not live for me, but live for Christ. And probably I need to be conscious of that choice every day. But, but I will say from just watching other people and even a little bit from my own experience, the more that I do that, the richer my life is and the richer my life is, the more I want to do it. Um, I suppose it's like the Lay's potato chip. No one can eat just one. Well, if, if, if you, if you follow Jesus and pursue him, I'm convinced that, that it will be such that there'll be a want to, to do it more. It isn't that you're going to get everything you ever wanted. It isn't going to be that your life is smooth, but it's hard to pin down, but there's something very satisfying about living for someone bigger than you and pursuing something goal-wise bigger than what you can envision. To me, there's something meaningful about that if we can grasp it. Yeah. Yeah, I think... what you said, like when you, when you do pursue holiness and you begin to live out those two daily actions and different things that please Jesus, like it's a good feeling. It's kind of like one of those things you want to chase after, but it can be, like you said, if you don't die to yourself every day, which 
I mean, kudos to people who do a really good job at that. That's like, I agree with you. I struggle with that too. With my whole, this year I'm trying to like focus on surrendering to God. But yeah, it's a good feeling. Like I, I know what that, that's like. And when you do it, you're like, man, I should do this more. This is something I should make a part of my life. So. I agree. I agree. But I do think we've kind of talked around it. But the idea of, of pursuing holiness, there's a sense of that I live a certain way. And, and that I don't look like other people look. But that gets to be a pretty fine line then mm-hmm. between that and becoming legalistic. So I guess how would you define legalistic and how does someone who's pursuing holiness stay out of the land of legalism? So interesting, I heard a story today. I, was, I wasn't even in the room. I overheard a story at work. Someone was sharing about someone else. They were at... Um, a gathering of other Christians. I'll say it that way. So it's, it'll never figure out who it was, but there was a non-Christian song playing and another person came over and like, you can't play that. That's a secular song. And then just like, I remember I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Like to me, that's a legalism, you know, like I can't even let anything outside of Christian culture or, or entertainment be in my life. Um, and so I was like, yeah, that's legalistic. And I, I think legalism, I feel like it's hard to define, but I feel like, cause I think at its root and its desire, legalism isn't a bad thing in the sense of you're trying to protect yourself from anything that will contaminate you from striving for holiness, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. But then there's some things where people refuse to participate in something because they just assume it's going to negatively affect them. Like one example that was really big years ago was like Harry Potter. You can't read Harry Potter because there's wizards and magic in it and it'll uh, destroy your life. Someone recently asked me like about Pokemon, like they're against Pokemon. And I'm like, I don't, I don't see any problem with Pokemon. You know, like I don't play Pokemon. My kids are interested in some Pokemon cards, but it's just like, you see these things and assume they're going to lead you away from Jesus. And I'm probably not, not a very legalistic person. So like, I really struggle with people who are just like hard and fast on I only watch Christian movies. I only listen to Christian music and you know, Bill, like I don't watch Christian movies cause I don't think they're entertaining. I don't, you don't like, them. I don't, I, know I don't, don't listen to Christian music. I listen to worship music, but I don't listen to Christian artists necessarily. So, but at the same time, like I appreciate those people and wanting to like do whatever they can. But I think a part of legalism too is like you try to put it on me. Well, you're a bad person because mm-hmm. you chose to do that. You know, like, am I am I a bad person? That's what you think. I, I'm more concerned with what God thinks and not what you think. So Yeah, I get what you're saying. Again, I was trying to read today um various different topics and blog posts and uh, articles about this topic. And one of the good distinctions I found was um, in a uh, article at the High Point Church, but it was talking about legalism and holiness. The difference is to whom the glory goes. I think there's something to that. When we're pursuing holiness, we're seeking to bring glory to God, mm-hmm. and and we're trying to to emulate Jesus, and he gets he's the focal point of the praise. He's the, in the spotlight, if you will. 
But I think legalism turns it around a little bit. Legalism makes the spotlight upon how obedient the person is. And I think if, if, if the spotlight is on how obedient I am, that might be more toward a legalistic approach. If the spotlight is on my conduct and how it brings glory to God, then I think that might be more of a pursuit of holiness. Now, that, that's just a starting point. But I like that. I like the idea that, and, and I think from the experiences I've had with my own life and with others, legalism is often about pointing out how different I am compared to others. If, if it were me, for example, I look at the Pharisees and they thought they were better than other people, which is at the heart, I think, of, of legalism. Um, the pursuit of holiness is an interesting one. I, I do think that there are areas of conviction. So if some people, uh, you don't have any problem with Pokemon cards and you don't like Christian music or movies, but for some people, being at a secular movie, if there is such a thing, or being at a movie that's not inherently Christian, listening to music that's not inherently Christian could be a stumbling block. Mm -hmm. And for that person, they probably need to stay away from it. But I like what you put. There are some areas that the Bible is clear for everyone, but there are a lot of areas where the Holy Spirit interacts on the heart of the person to help them grow in Christ. Mm -hmm. Because there are certain things that I thought 25 years ago were absolutely wrong that I don't have to, don't see quite the same way now. And there are some things that 25 years ago I thought were okay that I think, mm, I don't think that was as okay as I thought it was. Yeah. And we've, you and I've had this conversation before and about like, like let's do the example of alcohol because that's a, a thing I've seen. Some people who are very legalistic with alcohol, the, the Bible's very clear. It's, it's, it's a sin to get drunk, to consume alcohol in such a way where you're drunk and, and able to make decisions and be under the influence but the Bible doesn't say you can't ever drink alcohol. The Bible talks about different instances where, I mean, Jesus drank wine. It wasn't like the wine of today. Like it wasn't like he drank to, he obviously didn't drink to get drunk. And I was a, a partier in high school. I, I drank and got drunk in high school. And then I gave my life to Jesus my senior year. And I remember in college, like I had some friends who like wanted to drink when they're 21. And I remember just being like, you're stupid. It's like, why? Mm-hmm. Like, there's nothing positive about, about that. You know, like I said, it could all taste bad. Like in my opinion, like I've never, I've never had a beer that tastes good. Wine never tasted good. And all the hard stuff just burns. And the stuff that's like all fruity and stuff can't even tell there's alcohol in it. So what's the point? So I just remember being like right. real legalistic about it. And then over time, I'm just like, and part of it was like, it wasn't beneficial for me to, have that in my life. Like I hadn't, I wasn't far enough removed. I'm far enough removed now where I can have a, a drink. I, I maybe have an alcoholic beverage like once every six months, if that's it. Like, you know, it's, it's a very uncommon thing, but like, if you want to drink and drink responsibly, that's, that's fine. You know, but some people have a hard time. Like you can't even have it in your hat. You can't even look at it, you know? You picked a topic I have a hard one with. I know. Uh, I know. I really you have a hard time and not because, I mean, I haven't had much to drink in my whole life. Maybe one or two mm-hmm. alcoholic drinks my whole life, probably all combined. So I, I don't drink. 
but I have seen so much damage to people I care about mm-hmm. who um, have uh, drank and gotten drunk. And there's just no good that comes from it. So it's very easy for me to be, don't ever drink. Yeah. And it's easy for me to be legalistic about that because I, I see real issues with that. I, I believe you're correct biblically that the Bible is very clear about not getting drunk. I also think that there is some area of conviction with regard to having an occasional drink. I, I think that's that's true. Um, but for me, I, I would ask this question, and I've had this come up. I, I think if you have a position of leadership, whether it be in your home, whether it be when in the church, I think you got to be extra careful mm-hmm. about how you use that freedom. Mm-hmm. And be careful not to use your freedom for a stumbling block. And I'm not talking just to you in general, yeah. but I'm just saying that that while it's okay to drink, I always be cautious about the circumstances. For example, I don't think I don't think personally it's healthy for Christian leaders to post on their social media sites them drinking. I, I just don't because that gets so misunderstood. Now that could be legalism on my part, but I just think it compromises the witness. Well, I don't think you're saying don't ever do that. You're just saying, I don't think that's wise. I think saying don't do that. And I encourage you not to do that. It's two different things. And I would, I wouldn't disagree with you. A lot of it's context too. You know, I've, where you, where you live, what the culture is of your area, you know, like you just have to be wise in how you present those things. Like you said, some are stumbling blocks because it also, and it's not a stumbling block Sometimes it's similar, but sometimes it is a deterioration of your credibility. Um, especially if you're in leadership, if someone sees you, like you said, posting out with a night of drinks with friends, which, you know, that's you're responsible and stuff, but some people might see that and say, Oh, does he, does he get drunk on the weekends? You know, like a lot of times they're just smart to be above reproach as like Paul talks, Yes, you know, and like another thing Paul says in Corinthians made me think about this in first Corinthians six, he's talking about sex. He leads into sexual morality, but the point he's making is, is like something might be permissible. You can do it, but doesn't necessarily mean it's beneficial. Like that's the thing we have to be smart about. Like you might have the freedom to do this. Like God doesn't have a law against it or anything, but if it causes you to, to ultimately sin, you have to, not do that because it's a stumbling block, you know? And I think, absolutely. And I think that's where legalism comes in is you think that's applies to everyone when it does not. Like for example, years ago, Kara was convicted of a TV show. She watched it watches. And she's like, I'm not going to watch There's nothing edifying. And she tried to encourage me to quit watching a show I liked. And I was just like, and she wasn't rude or, or legalistic about it. She just tried to encourage me to do it. And I was like, no, I, this isn't a problem for me. Um, and she, I think she handled it really well, as opposed to someone just saying like, well, no, you're a bad person. If you continue to watch that TV show, you know, mm-hmm. it's difficult to not become legalistic because what seems so right to you, we sort of think ought to be right for other yeah, people. Yeah. But the Bible only, I mean, the Bible has some very clear things about what are right and wrong that apply to everyone. I mean, there are some very clear scriptures that talk about how we're supposed to conduct ourselves and not lying and 
and, you know, working hard with our hands and being kind and compassionate, forgiving. Right. I mean, there are things that are definitely said that we are supposed to do. Um, but a lot of the areas about which we can get legalistic are areas of conviction. And I have to be humble enough to say that this is where the Holy Spirit is working with me in my life and allow you or whomever the grace to work with the Holy Spirit in your life. Mm -hmm. It's hard though. It is. So your next question, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask this one. I'm interested. Yeah. Um, well, we talked about, but it's hard, it's hard to not be legalistic. Uh, I also think it's hard to be holy, mm -hmm. especially today. Or maybe you don't think so, but I think it is. Why? Why is it hard, or why do you think it's not? Some things are easy, like areas to pursue holiness and righteousness, and some things are hard. I think is how I would answer that question, which is a very uh, Chris Strickland way to answer the question. Yeah, you answered both sides. That was um, very good. But I, think, I didn't know Chris was on the I uh, think podcast. Today. Ultimately, it's difficult because I live in a world and culture that tells me pursue happiness at all cost and don't let anyone tell you what you do to pursue happiness is wrong because then they're being a judgmental jerk. So mm -hmm. that's what my non-Christian culture tells me. And if I expose myself to a lot of non-Christian culture, it can become loud and I don't, um, I try to be in tune with what the secular world is dealing with and going through and thinking and processing because I want to be able to reach that world for Jesus. Um, but I live in a world that says, pursue what makes you happy. And there's a lot of fun things out there that, um, like that God doesn't want us to indulge in or, or be a part of. Um, and sin is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to entice us. Because otherwise we wouldn't do it. Satan wouldn't try to lead us away to do boring stuff, you know. So I think it is difficult. It's a challenge. But like you said earlier, you have to die to yourself. Like, I don't know. I've, I've processed this a lot in the last year of my life. It's just like trying to tell myself just because I want something doesn't mean I should do it. And like, that's something I tell my kids a lot too, which is funny as an adult, I have to tell myself that a lot too, just cause you want it doesn't mean you need to have it or you should have it. You know, mm -hmm. that's, that's a very great, good lesson and a hard one to learn. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I appreciate what you said about, about the difficulty of pursuing holiness. And I agree. I think the culture tells us a lot of things that are, are, are backwards from the Bible, but I, I was thinking and it's a hard question. I don't, I'm not putting you on the spot, but I think it's a fair question. You said the non-Christian world is very good about saying, get what you want, do what you want. It's all about you. Mm -hmm. um, is the church preaching holiness? Are we preaching that or are we preaching um, something different? What do you, What would be the difference? <laughs> well, I just wonder sometimes if, if holiness might be a bit... I want to be careful how I say it, but if, if telling people that they need to pursue holiness in, in, in a proper context, not a legalistic way, but talking about what holiness is, um, that's not the same kind of message as God loves you, God cares for you, God accepts you. Both those messages are equally true, but I wonder sometimes 
if the current culture, the pendulum has swung to the fact where God accepts you as you are, loves you as you are, and everything is good without mentioning what happens after you enter a relationship with Jesus. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's true or do you think we do a pretty good job of that? I mean, there's definitely pockets of holiness isn't, um, pursuing holiness isn't spoke of a lot because we live in a culture that is open to being spiritual, but they're not open to being spiritual where there's an authority figure that tells them what to do. And that's what Christianity is. It's ultimately you submit to the authority of God, which is something a lot of people don't want to do. They, they want to know there's a higher power being or deity that, that is interested in their life, but they don't want a deity that's interested in telling them what to do. Are Christians being told to submit to the authority of God? I mean, I, I mean, I teach that. I mean, I can't, yeah. I can't, I can't speak for all of the, and I know you're not asking me to, but I know that's something I try to do. It's like part of being a follower of Jesus is being different. Like you have to submit to God. And it's the same thing. It's like, I try to equate it to like back to being, and this only works if you had good parents. Like you submit to your parents because you know they love you and take care of you and, and want what's best for you. And the same thing is for God. God's not up there being like, if you don't do this, I hate you. Or um, I just want to make you miserable. Like, no, it's always funny to me when we think we know better than God. Like that's ultimately when what sin comes down to is like, you think you know better than God. It's what Adam and Eve did, you know, things right. like, Hey, God told you not to do this, but really you should, because it's better for you than what God said, you know, like the, that's the lie. That's the lie Satan tells us. And we tell ourselves, it's like, Oh, I know better than God. God doesn't know what's best for me. Like that's right. ridiculous. Well, I ask that because I, I mean, it's easier for me to say now that I'm, I am not as I'm in the school and I, and I deal with it. I preach at a church now too. So I, I'm still in the church, but, um, I look at the church as a whole and, and I, it ebbs and it flows. So there's no one right answer and not every church is the same as another church, but it does seem to me looking at different literature and different, different reading, different, um, writers, Christian writers, ministers, that there's a real push to um, to reach the culture, which is a right push. Mm -hmm. Absolutely right. We need to reach the lost culture because people are lost and going to hell. So no no quibble with that. No quarrel with that whatsoever. I, I think Paul became all things to all people in order that I might win some. But at the same time, I think I haven't seen a lot of sermons. And I look at Twitter. I look at sermon things. Uh, sermon series in online. I haven't seen a ton of of them that talk to people about okay, what comes next? Mm -hmm. There, there is the take up your cross and follow me part mm -hmm. that I think sometimes gets uh, not mentioned as much. And and I don't know the balance, and that may be a topic for another day's discussion. Mm -hmm. But I, I I think sometimes. We have gone too far in some generations to only preach, you know, your turn and burn, uh, hell and damnation, you know, hellfire and brimstone, if you don't change your ways. Uh, we, we preach that, and then we go to God loves you and cares for you. Both messages are true. But I still think that 
the church might be looking for that sweet spot where it can blend both both messages. And maybe I'm crazy. That's possible. I mean, you are crazy, but I think if we're not as Christian challenging each other to examine our lives and our behaviors on a daily basis, then we're not doing it, doing the right thing, you know? And it's, it's difficult from, I think from a preacher standpoint, standing up on a stage and, and preaching a sermon to, you know, speak truth in a way where people hear it in a way that is, Oh, I, I like this. and want to keep listening. I, I'm not saying we should, tiptoe around holiness and pursuing holiness, but you have to do it in a way where you don't just be like, all right, listen here, people, you are doing a bad job at living out this life of being a Christian, knock it off and get it together. Like that can work. That can work in a a two on two. Like you, you could say that to me, like we have that type of relationship, but in like a, in a preaching standpoint, you want to say it in a way that's like, people hear it and be like, Oh, that's, that's still sweet to my ears. But I'm like, Oh, I, I do need to get my stuff. To and a lot of preachers know how to do that. They're very talented and skilled and be able to preach pursuit of obedience and holiness to Christ and helping them understand, Oh, I do need to make some changes. Cause I mean, if, if you go to, if you go to church on a Sunday morning and listen to a sermon and you don't feel a little uncomfortable, then I feel like the preacher didn't do the, do it, do their job. Like that's our, I think yeah, I agree with that. I, I think too many times P Christians, Christians go to church and feel awed or wowed or amazed. And that's okay. I mean, it's flattering to the preacher, but it's like cotton candy. It's it's the stuff that has no substance. I would much rather than be uncomfortable with yeah. what was said. I'd much rather than be challenged by what was yeah. said. And I think that, that to me is the goal of preaching I think, to Christians. Yeah. And I think that's always what we've tried to pursue, like where, where I'm at and where it used to be and, what you teach is like, we want to challenge the people we're, we're, we're teaching and make them be like, oh, there's some things I need to work on. Let me let me follow up with the last question. I know our time, I don't know how time it is, but I thought we better get to our last question. And this one is interesting to me. I don't know how much time we have for it, but but I, I love the concept of this question because we hear a lot. I hear a lot. I shouldn't say we, I shouldn't speak for you. I hear a lot about we want the uh, Christians have been... Um, They've done a poor job as far as presenting Christ to the culture, and the culture speaks and thinks very poorly of Christians and of Christ, and that we need to change that. And, and I get it. We need to minister to the people. We want our people to see the church in ways that are really, really positive and beneficial. So I do understand that. I do get that mindset. But at the end of the day, should a church really care? about what the non-Christian culture says about that church? And is that something that really is significant? I know it's out there, but is, are we caring too much, mm-hmm. too little? Mm-hmm. What do you think? Should the Christian church care about what the non-Christian culture thinks of them? Is that what you said? Yep. Yes. And here, let me explain my yes answer. If they don't like you, because you adhere to what scripture teaches about all the thing the Bible entails and they don't like your way of living, then no, don't care about that. Like, oh, I'm against X, Y, or Z. I don't want to get into those things and get all people all fired up. Right. I'm just on a tangent. But if they don't, if, they, if that makes them upset, don't care about that. But if they 
looked down on the church because your lack of love and compassion, lack of serving, lack of caring for those in need. If you're just like flat out jerks, that's what they think you are because you are being a jerk. Then yes, you should care because like, like something we've said at, at FCC is, and it's like, if FCC, the church I work at was gone in our community, would it be missed? And we would say, we would want it to, we'd want to be like, man, that church brought such a positive, um, such positivity to our community. They just did good, positive things in our community. And that's what we would want as a church, that we are a congregation, that we are a group of people that, that bring the light in dark places and show love, show compassion, show kindness. We are considerate, but we stand up for truth. We speak with grace. When we have disagreements, we, we speak in a way that the people leave the conversation like, I'd like to have a conversation with that person again. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, if, they, if they're... If the they're mad at us because we stick to believing in Jesus and what Jesus taught, then like, no, I don't care. Like, sorry, I'm not going to change my beliefs. Let me let me ask this question, and, and I I appreciate what you said, and I have much agreement with what you said as far as uh, we should. If they dislike us for our stance for Christ, that's just the way it is. Jesus said the world's going to hate you. It hated me. Yeah, and I I get that. I think though that if we are really not. If we are being legalistic or pharisaical or being judgmental, then and that would be not unlike the Pharisees of Jesus' day. Then I think that should be something that 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 would be something that I think Jesus would call out. But here's my hard question, and I wrestle with this. I don't know that I have a good answer. But you mentioned all the things that the community should know of, and I've heard that question asked before. If such and such church went away, would the community miss it? And the answers usually come back to everything that you said. And those are good answers, compassion, kindness, grace, love, all of those things. But what I don't hear very much, and I'm not blaming you either, but I don't hear any stances for holiness. Why do you think that is? Well, I think all that other stuff is holiness, you know, like that is being different. That is being set apart. You know, because we live in a world where selfishness is the driving force and all those other things aren't selfishness. They're driven by being selfless for what Christ did for us. And so, um, I mean, and again, people in the culture don't be like, you know what? They stand up for what they believe in. And I appreciate that. Some people hate that because it goes against what they are. Typically the people that would be like good for them are the people that would agree with them, you know? So, and I think the the culture doesn't know what holiness is. Like they don't know, understand being set apart and being different. Like that's a, that's a Christianese word, phrase, terminology. So um, maybe, maybe you disagree with me, but that's cool. Cause then you won't say I liked everything you said, like you normally do. Cause we think a lot alike. Oh, I don't. I, I I hate to say it this way. I don't know that I disagree. I I don't know that I think holiness is Christianese. I, I I think, and it bothers me sometimes because words have meanings. Mm-hmm. So when we use different words for spiritual things, I sort of think sometimes we dumb down the definition of them. And I don't know what other word to use other than holiness. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a biblical word of a characteristic of God. Mm-hmm. 
that's part of theology of who God is. So it's hard for me to say, let's use a different word. Well, um, oh, go ahead. Well, I was, real quick, I would say, I don't want to consider dumbing down, like I read this recently when teaching the junior hires, like how to teach. It's the idea of breaking it down so it's more understandable. And I don't, I don't, I agree with you in the sense, like, don't take the the meaning behind these these words, like words have meaning with holiness and righteousness and sanctification and justification, all this stuff. Um, but I think it's good to break it down to help people understand. I I don't know. I don't have enough. I, I'll go pull the people at the gym tomorrow that aren't Christians and ask them, hey, do you know anything about this word holy and what it means and, and stuff like that? And then I'll get back to you. I'll be curious. I, I suspect that they won't. So <laughs> I think that culture will say it's the first word of the Bible. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know that. Or the first word of a thing that I, they say a lot when they are really amazed. Yes, that's probable too. Uh, but I do think that I, I just think the answer to the question to me, what would the community miss? I, I think everything you said is good. But somewhere in my mind, something's missing from that. And I've never heard any church answer it. Maybe I'm just getting to be grumpy. But I've never heard any church answer it with that. That's part of the equation is is living a different life, mm-hmm. being different from the world, showing them a different path, showing them a different way. It isn't the legalism of you don't do this, 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 this. But it's, it's what you pursue, how you conduct yourself, what you do, everything that you said. I think is a subset, and you said this too, of, of pursuing holiness. But what we really want to be, what we really want the community to miss is not our actions. We want them to miss the presence of Jesus. That's kind of what I think. Mm. But that question never gets answered that way. And, well, lately it sort of bugs me. Yeah, I could see that. I could see where it bugs you. I mean, <laughs> I'm easily bugged by stuff, I guess. <laughs> I, I mean, I agree with you, but I don't with a sense of like all those things that we say that, that we wouldn't want, we want to miss is, is Jesus characteristics. And so I think we're answering the same thing. We're just not, like you said, words matter. We're not using the words that you want them to use, you know? That's yeah, probably true. So, but we could, we could sit and argue about this for a while, I feel like, but it is, I think the length of time that people are like, all right, I've had enough of this podcast. So they are probably, done this, has been, to you, this has been a fun and interesting conversation about the pursuit of, holiness. I have enjoyed it, Mr. Perry. You have been an enjoyable time and I haven't felt very well today, but this has been fun. Well, good. And I'm sure we'll talk more about it later in our lives and maybe even have a follow-up discussion on this topic. Who knows? But, uh, I want to thank everyone for listening. Whoever is listening, thank you for listening to us. We surely do appreciate so that. So I'm pretty sure this episode will come out um, the week before the Super Bowl. So, oh yeah, um, your Chiefs are in it. Yep. Um, is your niece going to cheer at the game? She'll be in Arizona. She she didn't get you any tickets. <laughs> no, I her mother and father may go. I don't know if she gets free tickets or not, but her mother and father may go. But she, I got a feeling that I will not be going. She's an employee of the Kansas City Chiefs, and she doesn't get any tickets. Well, they get two for every game, so it's possible she'll get two. Mm. But I feel like that I'm not number two in the list. I might not even be number is eight. Is it? It's is it your brother brother's kid? Yep. You just need to. He will probably his her, his wife will go for sure. Mm. 
And then the battle will be between her sister and him. Mm. Maybe her boyfriend, although I think it's between him and her sister or her other sister. She has two, so it could go either way. So are the Chiefs going to win or are the Eagles going to bring it home? Well, you know, I was really scared with the Bengals because I thought for sure we were done. I was really nervous about that game. And when they got the ball back with two minutes and ten seconds left, I thought, ah, this looks bad. But I was totally shocked that the Chiefs won and how they won even was more shocking. But I do think that they're going to win against the Eagles, and I don't know that it'll be very close. Oh, wow. Bold prediction. You heard it there first from Bill Thomas or from ESPN three, for 3,000 hours before uh, the Super Bowl. <laughs> well, That's what I think. we hope you guys all enjoy this episode, and w- whether you listen to it before or after the Super Bowl, we hope you enjoy the Super Bowl. And as always, we appreciate you listening and paying attention to what we think we know because apparently we're not as dumb as we think we are, but we still think we're kind of dumb. So. Um, absolutely thanks for listening and we will i always want to say we'll see you again later but i won't see anybody listens to this unless they tell me so uh enjoy and until next time 